So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do just a little intro to the series, and then um, we're going to have a testimony, and then I'm going to dismiss the kids. And so that's not going to take very long, but I just want uh, the kids to know that uh, I did not forget about you. I just think it's important that you um, hear this testimony. And so um, you may be wondering, why, um, why are we doing a series called Basics? What is this all about? And, um, you know, some people have wondered, like, oh, is this, is this because we have a lot of new people in the church? And, well, yes, we do. And so that's a really good reason to be doing this kind of a thing. But, um, but here's why. The, the real reason as to why we are doing this is because we believe wholeheartedly that we have been given a mission from our God and that we are called to do what Jesus has told us to do. Jesus gave his disciples um, marching orders when he was leaving them. And it's a, a passage that if you've been in the church at all, you, you're familiar with it and you know it. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what we have to remember sometimes is who he's talking to, because Jesus is not talking to seminary grads. He's not talking even to people who are mostly literate. He's not talking to people who have their pocket Bibles and their you know, study Bibles out in front of them and stacks of curriculum. He's not talking to people who just got back from some great conference where they heard all these great speakers and they're, they're ready to go. He's, he's speaking to people who watched him and walked with him for three years. And he says to them, this reason that I came, it's now you. Go. It is the most critical thing in the world for us to be doing. And it is the thing that, as we have talked about before, that we have kind of redefined and moved to the side and it's felt this, this thing that kind of feels scary. And what I hear from people all the time when we talk about this is, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Or we redefine it, but we say, we say like, okay, well, it means bringing someone to church and getting them to plugged in. And that the, it's, the, it's the church's responsibility to make disciples. Let me, let me tell you a little secret. You are correct. It is the church's responsibility to make disciples. You're the church. I'm the church. We are the church, right? And so um, we used to, back in Colorado, we had a, a house church movement, kind of a disciple-making movement. And one of the things, we were terrible at a lot of things. Um, and I can give you a laundry list. We can talk about it later. We were terrible at a lot of things. The thing that we were good at, the thing that kept happening was we saw people making disciples who were making disciples who were making disciples. We saw people who were brand new in their faith sharing the gospel with people and then teaching them how to follow Jesus while they themselves were learning how to follow Jesus. And people would talk to me, and I was like a nobody, and they would say, hey, so we've noticed this stuff happening. Like, what's, what's your strategy? And my response was, usually I'd like bring somebody with me, somebody from our church, whatever, but like, him. They're our strategy. And he They'd be like, well, okay, I get that, but like, but what's the strategy? Like, what, are you using a particular curriculum? Are you walking through something with them? And I, look, frankly, I was too dumb to come up with anything like that. I just said, like, them. We, we bring them to Christ, and we say, you, you go do this, and you go teach them. And, and when you're going, when you're kind of freaked out by it or whatever, you come back, and we'll encourage you, and we'll help you, and hope you figure it out. We'll figure it out together. It is this simple thing that, that Jesus leaves to people who were common, uneducated men. And so what we realize is kind of what's happened in the church is we just overcomplicate it. 
And so what we want you to know through this series over and over again is that making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples is far more important and far more critical than any of us, including myself, even grasp. And that it is far more accessible to every single one of us than you ever realized. That's what we want to do. So that's why we call it basics. Because we're saying like, hey, look, there's a million things we could learn about all this stuff, but we want to give you some, something to hold on to, something, some way for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go and, and I'm going to do this and I, I want, to, I want to, to share this with other people. And, and by the way, like, one of the things we were concerned about with this was um, we didn't want this to be a manual. So if you kind of go through this and thumb through this, there are far more blanks than there are words. Do you know why? Because I can't tell you the nine steps of how to share the gospel with somebody and make a disciple who makes a disciple. I can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to lead you through that. And so what we can do is share what we see in Scripture and then say to you, okay, listen to the Holy Spirit and go and, and do it. That's, that's kind of the, the plan of it. And, and so I just want to encourage you. So if, you, if you're brand new in the faith, if you, right now you're brand new in the faith, I want you to know you can do this. You can do this this week. You don't need to wait for years before you figure this out. Like you can go, you can grab somebody else that's maybe been walking with Jesus a little bit longer and you can go with them and say, hey, uh, help me. I want to share the gospel with my neighbor. I want to I teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. So to you, I'd say you, you can do this. And some of you might look at this and be like, hey, you know what? I already got this nailed. I don't, I don't really need this. I'm already doing this. I, I'm nailing it. Well, to you, I would say, no, you don't. Do you know how I know you don't? Because nobody in the history of the world has ever had this nailed. I, I have had the fortune that God has placed me in situations where I've been able to share the gospel a lot and see a lot of people come to Jesus and see a lot of people then go and make disciples. I've gotten to see a lot of life transformation. I've gotten to see miracles in front of me. And do you know what my reaction never is when I walk away from that? I never walk away from seeing something like that happen and go, that's just how I thought it would happen. That worked because I know how to do that. Not one time. Every time, I'm like a little kid going, oh my gosh, can you believe this? You can ask Robbie and Jeff this. Like we, we do this together from the office. I'll be like, can you believe that this just happened? I've seen it a million times. And every time I see it, I'm like, I'm like a little kid in a magic trick. I'm like, do it again. Do it again. How'd you do that? So I want to encourage you, like, if you've been walking with Jesus for decades and decades and decades, like, recapture some of that childlike awe and humble yourself before the Lord and say, okay, God, do something great. I want to see it. All right, that's, that is not at all what I plan to say in the, uh, the opening here, but um, I just want, I, I want you, and the, the one other thing I want you to, to know is if you're here and you're not following Jesus, and you say, that's not me yet, then you're in the best place you could possibly be. Because over the next nine weeks, we're going to be just walking through what does it actually look like to follow Jesus. And yes, we're going to be giving some things in there to help people here learn how to communicate that, how to, like, to think through, okay, how would I share this? Like, what does my story look like intertwined with the story of Jesus? And so, yes, we're going to do that, but you're going to learn what is it, okay, where do, where do I start? How do I, how do I learn about this Jesus? And so you are in the right place, and I'm so glad that you are here. The beautiful thing about this is that as we do this, as we go out, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we lack intimacy with Jesus 
is simply because we don't participate in the mission with him. I think that's the number one reason. If there's, an, if there's a concern I get beyond disciple making from people is people saying, I feel distant from God. I don't know that he's near. And my, my response is usually like, then get in there with him. Watch him work. Believe me, there's nothing more encouraging to your faith than to watch him do a miracle right in front of you. It's incredible. Get into the game. Get into the, on, onto the field. Get, get in there and see him do the things that he does. It's incredible. And when you do that, you will see, you'll grow in your intimacy. That's why he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's, it's not an add-on. It's not a separate thing. He's saying, behold. So as you go and do this, watch. And you'll see, I am with you. It's a powerful thing to know that Jesus is with you. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. And I want to bring up um, Leslie, if she didn't run away. I can see her now. Oh, she, <laughs> you snuck up, Rose. Okay, great. So when we thought about, okay, we want to be sharing some testimonies. And for this week, I just wanted to say, who, who do we know that when they just talk about belonging to Jesus, they just, you just listen to them and you say, they've been with Jesus. And there's lots of people, like, don't, don't get me wrong, but immediately we were just like, Leslie. So I just want Leslie, I brought Leslie. Hi, Leslie. You kind of hate me right now, I know. But um, here, let me grab the microphone for you. And I'm just going to have Leslie introduce herself. And I'm going to have her just share what this has meant. There you go. Hi, I'm Leslie. (laughs) Okay. Um, What this has meant. Well, this has meant a lot to me. I'm not going to be able to do this without crying, so please try to forgive me for that. But, all right. I can remember my life without Jesus. And when I realized what he had done for me and how much he loved me, my life is way different now. So as I live now, I try really hard to love others the way that he has loved me, offer grace the way he has given me so much grace, forgive the way he has forgiven me so much and continues to. I Almost daily, probably not daily, I pray that my eyes would be wide open to see what is before me that he has for me to participate in, to do. My, my little mantra is stay calm and stay flexible because you just don't know when he is going to bring something in and for you to be a part of. I'm so very thankful to be in ministry under him and and feel very unworthy most of the time. But thankfully, he has shown himself so 
powerfully to me. I think that's all I got. So, um, no, no, keep it. Um, really, is, so you see what I'm talking about. We knew, like, I didn't really give Leslie any direction at all. I said, just go up and talk about what does it mean to belong to Jesus and what does that meant to you. And so, um, you said that you're not, you know, who, who you were. What has it meant to you that your identity is in, is in Christ? What has that done to you? How has that changed you? Well, it's, it's given me a freedom because I, I can, I don't even know what to say, but I feel like I can, I can be me with this freedom because Because it's, it, I feel like it's, if I am sharing him, if I'm being, trying to be his hands and feet here, my identity it isn't about me, it's about him. So, so I have the freedom to, to do what I feel like he has called me to do. Does that make sense? Is that okay? It's, it's very much okay. <laughs> Um, so you see why when we were talking about it and I said to Robbie I said so should we kind of outline should we help her outline this or whatever and Robbie said uh, Robbie said don't mess her up (laughs) you just you just give her a microphone and um, just let her talk about what does it mean to belong to Jesus. And the thing about it is, and the reason why I wanted the kids in here is because a lot of you, a lot of the kids know her through Awana and you know her leading small groups. And so just to see, like, this is real. Like that's a real changed life, and she is different. And anyone who has experienced Leslie ministering to you, you know that she exudes Christ. So it's just beautiful. So I know this feels like a different, this is a different Sunday morning, but it is different. And we're, we're figuring this out as we go because we just, we just want to see the Holy Spirit move um, in and, and through us here. Um, when, as you're going through this journal, um, I just want to encourage you of, of how to use it. Just take, take notes as you go through. Um, you're going to see, like, these are not sermon outlines. These are just some helps and some key passages and key ideas, big ideas that you'll hear in the sermon, but it's not a sermon outline. What I want is for you to listen and hear the word of God and and hear the stories and testimonies and listen to the Holy Spirit of what he's telling you and and write it down and and consider and and consider, ask yourself these questions. Um, And not only taking notes, like when you do take notes on something you hear in the sermon, don't just take it for your own understanding. But write it down in a way where you're able then, that you're thinking, how would I share this with someone else? How would I teach this to somebody else? So think about it in those terms. I want to encourage you too, as we go through this series, get in groups of three or four. Pair up with people, get, get in groups of three or four. Um, if you're a guy, you know, grab a couple guys. If you're, you know, if you're a woman, grab a couple of women. Or, you know, if, you've got a, if, you're, um, if you're married and you want to grab another couple or something like that, like, or, or not, or make, whatever. But just get and practice with each other. 
Share with each other how this is going. Practice doing these things together, the stuff that we're, the questions we're going through and asking, like do that together. Invite a neighbor into that with you. Invite someone from work into that. Go, you could go to them and say, hey, we're doing this thing at church. We're just kind of walking through. What does it actually look like to follow Jesus? Would you be interested in doing that um, with me? And, and you might be shocked if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that. You might be shocked about what he would actually do through that. And if you don't know enough people right now, then let us know and we will help you get connected. We'll help you think through that. And, and our plan right now is we're even thinking like, look, you want to come here on Wednesday nights? We've got Awana and some other things, some small groups going on. If you want to just come together and, and talk about it, we'll, we'll find a room for some people to just get together and say, hey, what do, let's talk through this. Like, what, is this what is this looking like together? So that's our, our hope. Our hope is that at the end of this, you'll have a, um, just this little journal where you'll be able to see how God moved through you during this time, stories that you'll write out of what is happening, and it will be an encouragement to you for, for years to come. All right. Don't worry, it's going to be a shorter message today, but let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Help us to consider these things that are before us and the idea that, Lord Jesus, you sent us on this mission and we do feel unworthy for it. And there is a part of that that is, that is good. It is good and right that we would look at you and say, how, how could we, who are we that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you would send us on this critical mission? Well, we are who you say that we are. And you say that we belong to you because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so our security in you, Father, is not in our own works, in our own effort. It is in Jesus. And I pray that this morning you would just, whatever you have to do, to just ingrain that in our minds and let it burn in our hearts. And let it have no choice but to overflow through our hands. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to first mention the, the foundation of this. When we talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus, we know that the only reason we have any of this hope is the gospel. And we talk about this all the time, so it's not anything um, new for you. But this, this idea that what you will find when you're out on mission and when you're sharing with people and when you're talking to people, and if you're in here and you're, and you're sitting here considering like, okay, I don't know what I believe about this, what we know is that everyone lives their life according to a story. Everyone has some driving narrative, something that kind of gives their life meaning or purpose and drive and focus Something that makes them decide, makes a person decide that this thing is more important. This thing, I'm willing to sacrifice this, this for this. We all have that. Some live a, a story around their family and the whole plan is like, I just, I need to raise my family and I need to kind of send them up and, and get them out and, and as responsible adults. And like, that's, that's my narrative. That's my story. Some people do it around work and around climbing a, a ladder and, and um, being seen as valuable because of a, a work ethic or success. 
And some people do it around activism and feeling like, okay, if I can make a difference in this problem that I see in the world, if I can just, if I can orient my life around that and make that happen, then my life will have meaning because that's my story. And, and for some people that, that kind of goes into like the political realm or in the social realm or whatever, and we say like, okay, like this is my thing. Like if I, if my candidate wins, then, then my life will have meaning. It's these stories give us meaning and everybody has one. Some of us know what they are when I say that, and you know immediately what it is, and other people are like, I don't, I don't really know what that is, but trust me, you have a story and a narrative. And that's the angle, that's the point that we uh, are able to share the gospel, because what we believe as Christians is that there is a bigger story at play. There is a bigger story to be lived. A bigger story even than family, or than work, or than political power, or activism, or personal identity. It's just bigger. And it's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine things that are bigger than anything we could possibly imagine. If you ask people, people will clearly say, like, this I think is the most important thing that I can imagine. But the story of Scripture is that Jesus has a story that is far bigger than that. It's hard for us to grasp. And it's hard for people to grasp in Jesus' day, too. The kingdom that, we've talked about this before, the kingdom that the disciples wanted was an earthly one. When Jesus was talking about the coming of the kingdom, they assumed that meant earthly kingdom. They, they assumed that meant the reestablishing of Israel as a nation. They assumed that the enemy that was talked about being defeated was Rome. But there was a bigger battle at play. And a bigger kingdom to be built. And the same is true today. People tend to be living their story and they look to God to see how can he fit in their story. So people will be interested, especially in a culture that kind of values Christianity and it's not culturally really strange, but, but faith of any kind. You see it in our culture right now. People liking to kind of um, explore spirituality or explore faith or whatever. And most of the time, the way that we're exploring that is can Faith or spirituality help me in my story? Can it, can it help me achieve the things that I have set out to achieve in the narrative that drives me? Does that make sense? That's what we look for. And we do it in the church too. We do it all the time in the church. I want to know how to follow Jesus so that I can be more successful in my family. I want to know how to, to follow biblical principles so I can have more success in my life. But that isn't the story that we're given in Scripture. We're given a much bigger story, a much bigger kingdom. And what we talk about is this idea that we were created. We were created by God and for God. And we were designed by Him. And He is the only one that knows what our aim should be and who we are and who we really are. And every time people say, like, well, I know who I am. Nobody knows me better than me. Well, that's false. The one who created you knows you better than you. The one who created me knows me better than me. And that's the first, this idea that Scripture sets out, that God created you. He created everything. And he set up rule of what that looks like and design of what this is, how this is supposed to work. But because of sin, we have rebelled against his right rule. We have rebelled against his kingdom. We have said, no, 
I reject you. I want to live for myself. I want to be my own king. And in that, we actually became slaves to sin. But rather than just casting us out, God made a way for us back home. And he redeems us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He sets us free from our slavery to sin. We were owned by sin, slaves to sin, thinking we were free, but actually slaves to sin. And Jesus buys us back. The term redemption means to buy back. And he purchases our freedom with his blood. And then he renews us to live the life that we were meant to live when we were created. Until one day we get to be with him for glory, with, in glory, for eternity. And when somebody hears that story, when they, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've shared that story and, and people have said, no, I don't believe that story. And then there have been so many other times. I mean, one, one time was when I was in, uh, when we were back in Colorado, um, a, one, a woman who was kind of interested in what we were doing and kind of interested in, I would say at that time, saying like, you know what, I, I think I need more church in my life. I think I need some spirituality in my life. And so she heard about this little group of people that was meeting in a, in a home and she had some friends there. And so she said, you know what, I'll go. And she brings um, her, I would say, semi, mostly agnostic, culturally Jewish husband with her. And he said, do I have to go? And she said, yes. And he said, okay. And he came and they, we sat and we talked about Jesus and, you know, we were just in John and it was this incredible evening. And, um, and I just saw him and I watched him and he kind of nodded along with some things. He's very polite. He's very, um, very intellectual and very, very polite, very well-spoken. He would share some thoughts or whatever. And they were philosophical thoughts or whatever. And, and um, they all leave. And I thought, well, he was totally unaffected. And about 20 minutes later, I get a text from him. And he said, hey, can we, can we meet and talk more about what you were talking about here tonight? I was like, awesome, great. Yeah, when do you want to do that? And he said, can I come over after I put the kids to bed in about 30 minutes? I said, sure. So here I am, like in a real life, like Nicodemus situation, under the cover of night. He didn't want anybody else to hear that he was having this conversation. Puts the kids to bed, comes back to my house, and I am ready. I'm ready. Like, I've got Romans 5. I know his Jewish background. Like, I am going to talk to him about the Messiah. And I'm going I'm to read this passage, and then I'm going to unpack it for him in this amazing way, and this is going to be great. And he comes in, and I, I read Romans 5 to him. I say, let's just read this out loud. I read it to him out loud. And I take a breath to now start telling him all the wonderful things I have learned and all the things I've been trained in to share with him. I take that deep breath, and before I can get a word out, he goes, I'm in. I said, wait, what do you mean I'm in? He goes, I'm in. I said, what, 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 I don't even know what that means. Like, that's not what you're supposed to say. What are you talking about? He goes, I'm in with Jesus. I'm all in. He's the Messiah. I get it. I'm in. And I said, but you haven't heard the rest of my spiel. I actually said that to him. He goes, I don't need yours. I read that. And I just said, Okay. And from that point forward in our church, that became like a phrase that we would use when somebody, when we would share the gospel, we didn't say, we didn't talk about it. And look, I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage anything else. Please don't, please don't take this. But this is where we were. We were, we were not like praying to ask Jesus into our hearts. We were not doing that stuff. It was this line where we would say, I'm in. 
I'm there. I'm in. Let's go. And so that guy ended up becoming our first worship leader. And he didn't know anything. He was a professional musician. And here, this is what it was like when you got a bunch of brand new believers. You're like, hey, you can sing. Could, could you play some songs? And he's like, yeah, what does that mean? And I said, well, here, here's some songs. I would give him these songs and he would, he would sing them. And I still remember this. This is just a side note, but it's one of my favorite stories from, from, that, church, from that time. Was on the very first gathering, we're all worshiping and, um, and the projector. It's our very first corporate gathering. We have people gathering in a, um, in a hotel conference room or whatever. And while we are doing the songs, the projector goes out. Now, how can Americans worship without a projector and a screen? I didn't know. And so I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And he looks at me like, what do we do? And I, I just whispered to him, I said, play, one of the songs we were going to sing was Amazing Grace. I said, just skip to Amazing Grace because I think that's at least one. Because I've got a bunch of non-believers in there, brand new believers. And, like, and I, I said, like, maybe they'll at least know that tune. That'll be familiar to them. So just skip to Amazing Grace. And he goes, he goes, got it. Wait, how does that go? And I'm sitting there thinking, I've planted a church and our worship leader does not know the tune to Amazing Grace. This can't be good. But it was amazing. And so what I, what I want to say is like, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. What matters is when you hear that story, that there's a bigger story that you're saying, that resonates with me. I believe that. Then, then your profession of faith is, I'm in. And what that means, what happens in that moment when you say, I'm in, and what God has done is it's putting words to what has happened, which is that God has saved you. You didn't save yourself. You didn't come up with that. You didn't figure it out. He saved you. He opened your eyes to see things that you don't even understand what those things are yet. He opened your heart to feel things that you don't even know what those things are yet. And it will take you a lifetime to try to figure it out, and you'll still only scratch the surface. That's why we have eternity. And what he does is he says, you're mine. You belong to me. And this is the most important foundational piece you can lay for someone. If you are sharing the gospel with someone and they tell you, I'm in, then the very first thing you say to them is, you belong to God. This is not about you getting saved and now, okay, now I'm going to go try to live my life according to biblical principles. I'm going to do all this stuff. No, you first need to understand you belong to him. He has redeemed you. He has bought you back, which simply means you don't belong to anything else, including you. You're not your own. This is a core principle of the gospel. You are not your own. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what happens in that moment when God says, you're mine, you are no longer who you used to be? It's Leslie's testimony, right? She said, I remember who I was then. That's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. And that can be sound kind of harsh. Like, you can be like, oh, that, that seems scary, right? To say that, like, you're, you're not your own. Like, we're Americans. We love to be our own, right? Is there anything more important than that? And yet the gospel says, yes, there is. There's a bigger story. Paul says in his first letter to the church in Corinth, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What's interesting about this passage is he's talking about sexual desires, and which is like the most base and, and, and like most identifiable thing. We see it even in our culture today. People saying like, this is the most important thing about me, are these desires. And what Paul is saying is that even that, it belongs to God. There's a bigger story at play. You're not your own. Your body is not your own. He says, so glorify God with it. Your desires don't belong to you. They belong to God. He's saying, this is who you are. You've been bought back from slavery to sin. Everything is now under the lordship of Jesus. Your mind, your heart, your actions, your desires, your agenda, your kingdom that you're pursuing. Everything. They all belong to him now. And some of those things he will get rid of and cast off because he will say, this is destroying you. Others of those things he will redeem and turn into something beautiful the way that it was meant to be. Paul talks about it this way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we, this, is, this is the language we use. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. And, and that presses against us, right? Like there's an objection. And I've heard this objection. Like, well, then don't I lose myself? Don't I lose like who I am? Don't I lose my freedom? First of all, we don't have any, just a little side note here. We have no idea what freedom actually means. If you ask most people, what does freedom mean? They'll give some version of the answer of, it means I can do whatever I want. And I heard that when I was a teenager and I watched friends of mine fall into addiction. And they said, I'm, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. If you've ever battled addiction, and maybe this is something you write down in a journal. This is part of your story. If, if you have battled addiction, let me ask you a question. Do you feel free? Addiction is not freedom. That's what sin does. Sin like lures you and says, aren't you free? Aren't you independent? Can't you think for yourself? Can't you do what you want? And then you're enslaved to it. I mean, imagine jumping out of an airplane and saying, ah, the parachute's awfully, it just kind of hems me in. I don't really like it. I don't have my movement. I want to experience freedom. I want to jump out of a plane free. How long does that last? Depends on how high up you are when you start. They're lies. And what God comes in and says, that's not freedom. Freedom is Christ. Freedom is the life of Christ. That's abundant, free life. So what you actually find is when you, when you give up, when you die to yourself, you don't actually lose yourself. You find yourself, right? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You think like, how does, how does that work? Well, it works because you were created by God. By God and for God. But we are infected by sin. And that sin is so, it's everywhere. And so it has perverted who we were made to be. 
Like imagine, and, and what, what Jesus is doing is he's redeeming you out of that and getting that poison out of you so that you can actually be more of who you were actually call, called to be. Like imagine if you lived your whole life entangled by weeds. I tried to come up with a gardening illustration, but I know nothing about gardening, so I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's some plant that's strangled by weeds and blah, blah, blah. But what I'm basically trying to say, I'm just going to skip to the point. Imagine your whole life you're like entangled in weeds, and they're just like wrapped all around you, and they kind of suffocate you a little bit, and they, they trip you up. But that's your whole life. That's what you've always known. You're blocked from the daylight. You can't move. And if it's all you've ever known, that would feel normal. You wouldn't know what it would feel like to be able to spread your arms out and run around. You would assume that the weeds that entangled you were part of you and made up who you were. And what Jesus does is he comes out and he grabs those weeds and he breaks them and he untangles you and says, no, 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 these aren't a part of you. This isn't who you were created to be. You've been infected and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to break you free. And then you start to realize that the weeds that you thought were normal and were a part of you were actually choking you. And by the way, we, we tend to think that weeds are just the bad things. I want to make this really clear. We tend to think that the weeds that we're talking about here, like those are the bad things we think and we do. Those are the sins that we think and we do. But they're not just those. They're not actually those. The weeds are the sin that actually perverts all the things that we do. Sin infects everything, even the good things. Even the things that God gives us as good gifts. That's what it is. Sin isn't doing bad things. Bad things are when we take what God has given us for good and we pervert it and we turn it to something else. That's what those bad things and thoughts are. And so even the good thing, even the things that we're saying, well, yeah, yeah, I know I need to give to him my addiction. I know I need to give to him my anger. I know I need to like, not do these things. But these things that I've declared are good, like I'm just going to keep rolling with those. And Jesus says, no, all of it. Because even the things that you're doing over here that we would say are good things, like they're infected with that. It needs to be untangled. I grew up finding my identity in what others thought about me. I was known as, um, I was a mischievous kid, but overall a good kid. I was the kid that would get sent to the principal's office, and the principal would be like, ah, roll her eyes and say, ah, not again, okay. But it was always good-natured. And then as I grew, I started to get involved in ministry, and people started putting those expectations on me. And when I came to Christ, when I really came to Christ, I knew I was supposed to give up my sin. And like, oh, I probably shouldn't misbehave in class. I probably shouldn't talk back. I shouldn't do those things. Like, okay, I got that. But I thought that all the good things I was doing, like those were good things. And those just didn't need to be touched. And what that led to was in planting that church in Colorado, my whole identity being wrapped up in the success of that. It was so entangled, I couldn't separate it out. I was like, but it's good that we're sharing the gospel. Like, good things are happening. And what the Holy Spirit had to finally say to me was, yes, I am doing good things here, but you are still defined by yourself. I'm going to untangle you from this mess. I remember being on sabbatical after our church plant had dissolved and 
Everybody had gone their separate ways after like nine years of all this craziness. And I remember sharing the gospel with somebody for the first time after that. And I remember feeling like wanting them to come to my church. And then I had to remind myself, you don't have a church anymore, Jay. And you're like six hours away from home. Like, what are you inviting them to? And all of a sudden, I remembered what it was like to share the gospel without my identity being a part of their response. And it was awesome. It was freeing. It was incredible. And the same thing, I can tell you story after story of what it feels like to give up my identity and being a dad and being able to love my kids in a free way, not where, where, they, where their behavior reflects back on my identity and who I am, but I love them from my love of Christ. Like in those moments, I'm like, this is awesome. And it's a battle. But what he does is he sets you free free from the addictions and the slavery that you have and free to be who he's called you to be and to love and serve and live the life that he's called you to live. Like, think about what that means. Like, what are you known for, good or bad? What would be the thing that somebody would say about you? Like, oh yeah, that guy. What would they say? Oh, she's, she's great. Like, she is a master at this. Or she, or man, he is, he is strong work ethic. A great mom, great dad. Or would they say things like, oh, he's an addict. Oh, he comes from a bad family. Oh, he's a mess. Whatever you're known for, the gospel says, give it up. It's not who you are anymore. You belong to Jesus. That way other people see you, that doesn't define you. God defines you. That reputation you have, that doesn't define you. That's not who you are. You are who he says you are. And to have that, we die to ourselves. That's what we give up. So we can live to Christ. Seek first the kingdom. And what he offers is better. As we do that, we talk about this all the time. It's better. We see this in Paul. When Paul's dealing um, with the church in Philippi, there are all these people who are um, bragging about their works of the flesh and about circumcision and about fasting and about all these different things. They're like, look at how holy we are. And Paul says, essentially, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he's like, you want to brag about how holy you are? Let me give you my, my repertoire here. And he just lays out, like, here are all the ways that I am so much more righteous in my flesh than you are. It's kind of a confusing thing that he starts going down this road. And then he says, but I gave it all up. That's not who I am anymore. And you look at that list, you're like, man, Paul, some of those things are good. And he's like, nope, it's all garbage. In fact, he says, not only do I count all that loss, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Because Jesus is better. He says, like, I gave all that up. Everyone thinking that I was super religious and was great, I gave it up. That's not who I am anymore. So that I could gain Christ. That's what happens to us in that moment. Driven by a new purpose, driven by new desires, in service to a new king. And it is a daily battle. And we need to know that. And when you're leading people through this, you need to help them understand, you're going to fight this battle. Because what's weird is we will try to return to those old ways. We all have testimonies of that. 
And Paul addresses this. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But it will be our temptation because it's what we know. It's comfortable. There's a strange comfort in those weeds that choke us because we know it. It's a default. I mean, imagine if you have chains, like your whole life you've lived with chains, like shackled to your ankles. And so you learn, what would you do if you, from your time you were young, if you have chains around your ankles and, you know, there's just like a few inches in between them, what would that affect? It would affect everything. It would affect the way you live. It would affect the way you walk. It would affect what you think you're capable of doing. Like if somebody said, hey, I need you to get from there to there in 10 seconds, you'd be like, that's not possible. Am I Superman? Because you could only walk like this and you'd just be doing this all the time. Now imagine... Somebody takes those chains off. Imagine that it's me. I've got these chains on. Somebody takes them off. And I'm so excited because now I don't have these chains anymore. And I go out to the track and we run a race. And as I'm running around the track, you're watching me and you see me running like this. What would you say? Like, hopefully you'd be like, hey, Jay, you look like a fool. You don't have chains on anymore. And I have to be like, oh, you're right. I don't. Because I have to retrain myself. I have to understand that that's not who I am anymore. Even though it's all I've ever known, that's not who I am. So you'll still battle sin, but it doesn't define you. You might still battle addiction, but it doesn't define you. You'll still battle wanting to find your righteousness in your works, but that doesn't define you. Your righteousness is not found in those. It's found in his works. And he sets you free. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is reality. That is the new story. And as just in closing, as a transition to next week as we move forward, is to just say, like, we got to acknowledge, and you need to acknowledge when people are experiencing this, is freedom is going to feel weird. Because you're not used to it. You're going to feel things that you're like, what, what is that? You're going you're to have a feeling like sometimes uh, I should go talk to that person. That's going to feel weird, and you're not going to know what to do with that. And we just want to encourage you, just go. It's going to feel weird. You have to be reminded of that. I, I'll, share, I'll share this last story. because. Um, so you notice I'm not wearing glasses. Right? Everybody see that? I also don't have contacts in. And for the longest time, as growing up, I was like, I, um, I have perfect vision. That's what I always thought. Like, I'd go to the eye doctor, and I'd kind of get by or whatever, and everything would be great. And I, my vision never changed. And um, after I got married, Laura and I were living in California, and um, she had to go to the eye doctor, and she said, I think you should go with me. And I said, why? And she goes, well, either your eyesight isn't good, or you are getting like a grumpy old man. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're always complaining about like how small the menus are, like the font on the menus and all this stuff. I'm like, it is. Like, who can read that? And she's like, I think most people can. I think we should go to the eye doctor. And I said, no, my eyesight is perfect. And she said, okay, well, would you do it for me? And I said, sure. And then I'm thinking this will be great because I will be able to give her my clean bill of health. Some of you know where this is going. Hold on. So I say... 
I go to the eye doctor and they give me all the doot, 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 which one, which one, blah, blah, blah. And I do the whole, go through the whole thing. The, um, the attendant, she goes, she goes, I'm going to go get the doctor and have him come look. And I was like, oh, because this is amazing, right? Like this is going so well. And the doctor comes in, he does the whole thing. And, and I, um, he gives me this line that is just like, I can't make out a thing. And um, I said, I said half jokingly, I said, oh, is that the line that you have people read to see if they have superpowers? And he responds, no, that's the line you have to read to get your driver's license. <laughs> How do you have a driver's license? And I just looked at her and I said, I, I don't know. And I didn't believe him at first. And then I realized, like, that's the case. I had an astigmatism. It was what I'd always known. And if you know anything about astigmatism, like, you don't, it doesn't change. Just that's it. It's what you have. It's how you always see the world. That's how I'd always seen the world. I had no idea that anything else was supposed to look different. I remember getting the glasses. And he even told me, he said, we're giving you a half prescription because you would not be able to handle it. You probably wouldn't even be able to walk straight if I give you what you actually need right now because you have to learn. And I, I said, okay. And so I put them on. And I walk outside, and some of you have had this experience. I walk outside, and there was a tree, and I went, that's what a leaf looks like? Like, I thought leaves were just like this blurry blob. I didn't realize that it actually had the detail. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I didn't understand it. I still have the half-prescription glasses, by the way, and I never wear them. So um, this, is, this is part of the deal, right? Do you know why I don't wear them? It feels uncomfortable. I don't like seeing things that clearly. It's scary. I don't want to see the fur on the deer in the ditch. I just need to see the deer in the ditch, right? <laughs> That's it. I have somebody in the car with me to tell me what exit number that is when I'm a mile away from it. I'll see it when I'm 12 feet away from it, thank you. And that's how so many of us live our lives with Christ. You get a moment. You receive the gospel. You see something different. You say, oh, that is amazing. And then you say, you know what? I think I was okay where I was. I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to do just like, or maybe I'll just try a little half version of this and just kind of dip my toes in it. But you know what? I'm going to kind of keep a foot over here because this is safer. I feel safer here. Don't do that. He's better. It's worth it. Yes, there's pain that goes on. Leslie talks about that. Part of the emotion you see in her is because she sees, she has eyes to see people who are hurting. And so you're just going to see people who are hurting. But you're also going to feel the power of the Holy Spirit to say, go, I'm with you. You're going to see him do great things. And you're going to get to a place where you're going to look back and you're going to say, I don't even know why I ever wanted that back there. But you got to go step by step. You got to die to yourself. You got to remind yourself daily. This isn't who I am anymore. You got to be surrounded by people who are going to help you in that, who are going to say, it's not who you are. And so then when you confront sin with one another, you're just reminding them that's not who you are. Let's repent and ask for forgiveness because you, you've forgotten who you are. You're not believing who God says he is. Like, let's go. And if we could do that together, imagine the generational impact of life after life being transformed by the gospel. Lives in here changed. Lives in the community changed. Lives of children changed. Lives of grandchildren changed. Lives of people who haven't even been born here yet but will be in 50 years changed because of what God has done through you 
in these next few months. So as you leave today, I want you to talk about this. I want you to write down, I want you to consider and write down for yourself as you think through these things, God, where's my identity been? Where was it? Like maybe you know for sure, like my identity was there. My testimony is that God set me free from that through Jesus. And now this is who I am. I belong to Christ. Or maybe you're saying, I'm not sure where that is. Or where are you battling it right now? Where do you be, need to be reminded right now? Those are the things you get to share with people who you're leading in this. Who you're telling them about Jesus. You can say to them, this is where I'm battling this right now. This is what God is doing in me. This is where he's given me some victory. And this is where I'm just pleading to God to help me. It's all good things. So, that's where we're going. I'm sorry I lied to you about the short sermon. If it's any consolation, I lied to myself. But here's what I want you to hear. I love you. You are our strategy. We don't have anything else. It's you. It's the Holy Spirit working in you to reach the people he has placed you around. And we will be with you every step of the way. So if you're in, then let's go. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that you would do your work in us. Because it is you, God. Would you humble us before you? Some of us in this room have seen countless people come to Christ. Would you humble our hearts to say we've seen nothing yet? Some of us have story after story of of transformation. We've seen it, God. You have transformed lives in this church over the last 44 years. For 46 years. You've been doing this all along, God. We just want more and more. We want to see you work. God, forgive us for where we've gotten distracted. Forgive us for when we put our identity and other things. But God, bring us back to the heart of what you have called us to do, which is you have transformed us and you have said that we are yours. And we are to rest in that. And God, help us to do that as we then look at it and say, God, what do we, how do we do this? God, show us more of Jesus. Give us more of Jesus. And let us worship you now, God. As we sing together, God, I pray that we would sing together this glorious truth that we don't belong to sin anymore. We belong to you. We are identified by you. We are called by you. We are who you say that we are and who you say we are are your sons and your daughters and we belong to you. Amen.